what's up, everybody? It's Free Association on Sportsnet.ca. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He is Donovan Bennett. Maybe we sound a little better because we are in the podcast studio with the nice mics. I always hear my own voice and think, you sound good in here, kid. You sound like you could be somebody. How do you feel? Like you want to give it a little test run? You remember what it's like back here, back in the slumming it days? I feel the exact same. No different. You don't like your voice a little bit more? No. Don't you want to speak with a little bit more of a sultry tone? No. Yeah. All right. I, f- I feel bad for the people who are skipping nah. 30 seconds ahead nah. only to hear if we're talking about basketball yet nah. to then have to skip 30 seconds ahead once again. Nah, people love it. That's what the people want is sultry talk. I think I call myself Rich Smoother when I'm in these studios with these microphones. So uh, Rich Smoother on Free Association bringing you the heat. Can I ask you a question, Donovan Bennett? I mean, I can't stop you, so. Is Norman Powell cursed? No. O'Neal, cross court, left to right to Mitchell. Mitchell back over to O'Neal. Now on the far sideline, it's Conley. We've got a step on Powell, got into the 10, kicks it back out on the perimeter to Mitchell for three, buries it, and underneath the 10, two Raptors down, Powell and Ananobi, who collided as they converged on Conley before he kicked it out, and both are down in a heap. OG is finally back up off the floor. Powell is still down and very slow to get up as he's now being helped up by both Lowry and Siakam. And Powell is getting up and limping badly, trying to make his way to the bench and now wrapping his arms over trainer... Gio Sardella. That's Gio Sardella and and, And Kyle Kyle Lowry. Lowry. And now some of the others come out. Uh, Boy, Norm's had this kind of a stretch, though, where he has played well and then injuries have hit him um let's see he's gonna go to the locker room let's see what see what happens see how it looks you're sure if he was cursed he would come back and not play very well no but isn't he, that the he in most fact comes back and plays arguably better than he was before see i think that's the twist of the curse it's like you know where it's like hey be careful what you wish for you ever see the movie bedazzled certainly have not oh really classic classic movie Brendan Fraser, Elizabeth Hurley, he meets the devil, he gets all these wishes, and every time he asks her for something, she, uh, she puts a little spin on the twist. So, like, he wants to be powerful and rich, and she turns him into a drug dealer who is on the run for his life, right? He's, like, living on a compound, and then he's like, oh, turns out he's running for his life and needs to ask for a different wish. Wants to be a professional athlete, respected. She turns him essentially in a shack, but uh, tiny horn. So he wants out of that curse as well. This is how I feel with Norm Powell, is that his season has been cursed, that they keep showing him this life that he could live, the best version of Norm Powell that he can possibly be, and then for some cruel twist of fate, they keep pulling it away from him. Like, he can just never get going fully. Because this is now, okay, so he's had the shoulder dislocation in December. He, what does he, break the finger or did he fracture? He fractured the finger in February. And now we're waiting on it as of today. We don't know exactly the extent of the ankle sprain. He apparently walked out of the building for whatever that's worth. I'm, I'm not a doctor. There seems to be some optimism around it. But you've got to imagine that he's going to miss some games here straight after coming off of arguably his best week of the season. Like he wasn't named Eastern Conference Player of the Week at any other point. Yeah, I just feel sad for the guy. So I, I mean, you mentioned it. He's Eastern Conference Player of the Week, only the 10th guy in the history of the franchise to do it and since coming back from being hurt with that hand 28 points in five games in 
his average on the year was 16.8, which is really nice. You take that. Mm-hmm. But he's literally taking his game to an entirely double level than the nice role player he was before. Last season, he averaged 8.6 points per game. Like, mm-hmm. just to put it in perspective, because I think people think, oh, playoff pal, and they've got all these great memories of him doing nice things. Yeah, he has great moments, but he's been playing at such a high level and so consistently. I, I honestly believe he's certainly not the best Raptor, but he might be the most consistent. Pascal has some down games. Lowry has had some down games. Norm has been so steady. Patrick McCaw's pretty consistent. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, Norm has been so steady since Nick Nurse, as he has done with a couple guys, yeah. early in the year said to him, listen, you can't have a game where you take eight shots. That's unacceptable. And he's been playing at a decent level since. And so literally a minute and a half after being Eastern Conference Player of the Week, the fact that he's hurt and maybe will be out a week ish if not more i just i just feel for the guy the good news is though they got some time Mm -hmm. they don't play until saturday so he literally has some time without games coming off the schedule that he can rest up yeah and it's detroit and golden state the next two games and so you're feeling pretty confident you can win both of those without Norm Powell. You're right. You you feel heartbroken for the guy. That's honestly... I mean, not if Patrick McCaw's playing 41 minutes yeah, a night. I'm not. I, th- I thought it was 42. <laughs> Actually, it was 42. <laughs> yeah, it's 42 minutes. Did you see Ben Ennis, uh, my co-host on Good Show, ask someone to Photoshop a championship banner with Raptors 1 playing Patrick McCaw 42 minutes? And I think it's Andy Rallycap at Rally Andy. He's like a Toronto Twitter staple. He made it for him. I laughed at it. I thought it was a pretty good tweet. Yeah, that's how I felt. It took me... I would say it took me just about a quarter to get back into the Raptors-Utah game, not to be overly, you know, down in the dumps about something, but you're right. Norm has had this incredible season. He just hits his stride. He gets player of the week across from LeBron James. Like, that's pretty nice accolades that LeBron is one Western Conference player of the week and then it's Norm Powell on the other side of it. And there's all this buzz kind of going around the association at that point of, wow, Norm Powell's really starting to put it all together. Wow, he's consistent. A third time, or sorry, a second time that he's coming back from an injury this season where he hasn't been derailed, he's shooting the lights out, he's having a historically good Raptors shooting season, and he just doesn't seem to get deterred by this. And to have it happen again, you wonder how many bullets are in the chamber in terms of, not that it can't happen for him, but that yes, for someone who historically has been a bit of a streaky player, that he could fall out of a rhythm or that he could start to lose his confidence or that he could start to, you know, really think about his body or how he could get injured and how he's feeling about when he's attacking the basket. You don't want any of those things entering the head of Norm Powell. So yeah, it really sucks for him. Uh, Nobody wants this from him. But yeah, I think you raise a really good point about how he was perceived. Even the first game of the season, if you remember, where Norm closed. Took the game winner. Right. Or the attempted game winner. He takes the attempted game winner, but I think that the most of the fan response was, man, why Norm Powell? Is this really how it's going to be? Norm Powell is going to close games for you? And now, I really don't think that's outrageous at all. And this is my other question for you. Over this stretch of games, do you think that anyone changes the Raptors' ceiling more than Norm Powell? This is my case. Siakam, we kind of know, is really, really good. He still needs to prove it a little bit more in really big games. He had an incredible game against Utah, 27-11-8. The eight assists with, again, Patrick McCaw playing 42 minutes. So you're playing four-on-five on offense for essentially the entire game after playing in a back-to-back. And to come up with that performance with Rudy Gobert hanging out on the cup is incredible. But he still hasn't really stretched that out into a consistent amount of play. We think that he changes the ceiling in terms of if he can be that in big spots. There's no doubt about it. 
But just, you mentioned it. Norm Powell has been one of the team's most reliable offensive players. And if you're looking at a team that kind of does have some erratic offensive pieces in Siakam and in, I'm sorry, still to this day, Fred Van Vliet with Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka has been solid this year, but I don't know if you're looking at him to create his own offense, that Norm Powell kind of provides this group with something that other guys don't, which is the ability to not only attack the rim, but to knock down a three off the dribble. Here's the problem with that argument is that it hasn't been the case in that when Norm has been hurt, they've been 14 and 7 this year. And, and when he's most recently been out with the finger, they were 7 and 2. So they haven't really missed him as good as he's been when he's been around. I would say the emergence of OG is not more impressive. I think Norm going off for 30 plus in back to back games is more impressive, but might be more important because OG on this West Coast road trip. Was guarding centers and felt very comfortable well, doing it. Guarding centers well. So much so that Rudy Gobert got fed up and basically tried to fight him at the end of the game because he blocked his shot. I think OG adds more to the equation in terms of how you're using your roster, especially when we saw at times Rondé, as good as he is and as much hustle he's, he gives, he just runs out of ideas offensively. Mark, now coming back from injuries, going to take some time and again that's a depreciating asset in a player i think og's ability to play big gives nick nurse more options there are other options who cannot at the same level but can approximate what norm does the question is just which of those options do you trust the most is it matt thomas who i thought acquitted himself very well against the jazz is it terrence davis who i love or is it the guy the coach loves? And that would be Patrick McCaw. Yeah. The, the answer was Patrick McCaw. Yeah, the other players were glowing about McCaw. And yeah, I want to talk about him. Were they glowing about him when he well, they said turned the ball over to I end know, the game? I know, it's tough. And he had I thought he had a good half in that game. The maddening part was it wasn't that tough. Like, make the simple, safe pass or just hold on to the ball and potentially get fouled. What's tough is that he did not want to go to the line. He did not want to get fouled. But Matt Thomas, twice, both on the inbound and then later in the scramble, was running around wide open. Be a good guy to trust at the line. Remind me of the Portland game. he, He forced it to Pascal, and luckily they were able to ride through it. But listen, I will say this, and I'll let you then take it wherever you want because I don't want to get the rep as the guy who just crushes Patrick McCaw every week. I was critical of Kyle Lowry like four years ago when the rest of the world was. People still don't let me live that down. Nick Nurse has forgotten more about basketball and this team than I will ever know. I think he is, I think he's a coach of the year, hands down. I think his manipulation of the roster, not just on court, but the relationships has been spot on him. Being around the, the team I've just heard stories of him on the road going to dinner with guys, just getting to know them personally, understanding how they tick, understanding how he can motivate them and letting them understand that he cares about them because they're not going to care how much he knows unless they know how much he cares. I thought his decision to keep Lowry in the game with five fouls on this road trip was masterful because Lowry closes the game with 13 points and he's the reason why they win. I do not understand the infatuation with Patrick McCaw. Yes, he has more rings than anybody on the team. I get that. But, I mean, he also went to Cleveland, which was at the time the worst team in basketball, 
and they were like, yeah, we don't even really have much use for you at this point. I just don't understand what Patrick McCaw brings other than a wingspan that Terrence Davis and or Matt Thomas don't bring in any scenario. Any of the plus that he brings defensively is surely balanced out by negatives that he brings offensively. Yeah, this is the toughest part of all of the Raptors injuries when they lose core pieces is that there's a huge chasm between the Raptors' top seven and then the next guy on the roster. Like, you lose Norm Powell, and you're going through three options that right now do not really appeal to me. You lose Marcus Gasol in a game, and they're going back to Chris Boucher, and he's still taking bad threes. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, I think you mentioned it, is, is it like a good player in some limited minutes? He can give you some good defense, but... Yeah, it really chokes up your offense when you have to go to these bench units that we've seen the Raptors have to deploy the last couple of games where they have like McCaw on the floor at the same time as Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And you see the team go through scoring droughts. The McCaw thing is, to me, both understandable and both really hard to comprehend. That makes no sense. Yeah, so here's what I get. You know what you're getting with Patrick McCaw if you're Nick Nurse. You like his defense. You like the fact that he can defend all the way down the floor. He's like a college player. Like, you throw him out there and you're like, hey, man, pick this guy up full court. Give this guy some problems with your length. Give this guy maybe you're going to pick up a couple of steals. So even in that Utah game, he finishes with three steals, right? And he, he generally comes up with either a help play or a steal in a game where you go, oh, okay, I can kind of see some of those pieces there. He has no offense, though. Like, he has really nothing. Unless it's a clear cut to the basket where he gets an open lane for a layup, you basically don't trust him with anything. And even again, you watch that Utah game, you're right. They're just they're not respecting him. They're not playing him, period, which is really, really hard and really taxing on the rest of the Raptors players. Like, 75 out of the 101 points against Utah came from Siakam, Lowry, and Serge. And this all had to basically happen because you don't have any outlet from Patrick McCaw. He's just, he's not an available option. The part I, I also understand is, I think Terrence Davis has hit a bit of a rookie wall. And I think that his decision-making is something that Nick Nurse doesn't trust late in the season. That they're trying to win all these games. They're really trying to make sure that they make a, a sizable gap between them and the Boston Celtics. They understand how important that two-seed is. And Davis, who I'm a big fan of, and I think that the reason they unlocked Terrence Davis early in the season is they let him be him. But he's had some moments in some games recently. He was good against Golden State, but he struggled early. He's had some moments where he's just had some incredibly awful shots, some really bad turnovers. And I think Nurse looks at it and says, hey, man, if you don't tighten these things up, I can't play you at all. At least with McCaw, I know what he's going to do, and that's get the ball to the other players, let them initiate the offense, and then give me reliable, if not a little bit overrated defense. Yeah, the issue, though, is, I mean, I don't think Terrence Davis's bad shots are bad shots when they go in. And I know, that's what I'm saying about unlocking him was letting him be him. Patrick McCaw doesn't have bad shots because he barely takes any, and he has bad turnovers. So I would prefer the guy who's confident in shooting and has bad turnovers other than the guy who's compromising your entire offensive set because he's unwilling to shoot and because the other team knows he's not willing to shoot. And thus, you're guarding five on four on the rest of the floor. He thus then has bad turnovers. Just so you know, I'm with you on this. Like, I, I think that the leash has been too short for Terrence Davis. I think that the nights where he starts the game... Like he did, I think it was the Denver game where he started and he took a couple of bad shots and then Nurse didn't play him the entire second half. 
it worked at some points. He had the Charlotte game where he came back after being benched and was awesome, had one of his best games of the year. I'm just I'm giving you what I think is the the reasoning behind Nick Nurse as far as I see it. And I would understand that if McCaw played 30 minutes and Davis played 20, or McCaw played 35 and Davis played 15. I wouldn't agree, but I'd get it. But in what scenario is Patrick McCaw playing 42 minutes tied with Kyle Lowry for the most on the team? Mm-hmm. And Terrence Davis is playing six. Like, that to me doesn't make any sense. Allow him to make some mistakes that you then take away the rest of the minutes. But with OG out for the game for a short period of time, thankfully, and Norm Powell 90 seconds in, out for the rest of the game, I'm just like, well, how many minutes were you planning on playing Patrick McCaw before you no longer had Norm and you ramped it up to 42? Lots. I Evidently. And so when you when you look at the team offensive rating and with McClaw it's it's minus five point five and with TD it's plus four point seven or the net offensive rating with McCaw on the court it's minus eight point five and with Davis it's plus five point seven like we could just go down the list in terms of stats that I didn't research but our wonderful producers put in our doc for me it's not close so my eyes are telling me one thing as I watch. I'd rather have Terrence Davis challenging guys at the rim, picking guys up full court, giving energy, making some smart decisions with the basketball off the bounce, than Patrick McCaw, who just looks like a deer in headlights whenever he has the ball. I, I, my eye is telling me I'd rather have Terrence Davis. But then when you just look at the, the numbers, the raw numbers, net effective field goal percentage— with McCaw on the court, minus 3.1%. With Terrence Davis on the court. He was minus 17 the other plus night. Plus 4%. He was minus 17. The numerical debate, to me, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The eye test debate, the just common sense debate, doesn't make sense. And it's not as if Patrick McCaw should play zero minutes and Terrence Davis should start. But 41 minutes and six? Like, that, that, that to me, seems bizarre. So... I think a lot of this is overstated because if the Raptors are healthy, they have seven guys, and those seven guys are going to play the vast majority of the minutes. But still, the problem remains is it seems to me as though Patrick McCaw has become the team's eighth man. Would you not? Like, for a while it was Rondé. For a while it was Terrence Davis. Now it seems Pat McCaw has the conch, that he has the trust of the coaching staff, and they want to let him speak. Because you're right. You don't play 43 minutes in comparison to... 22 from Rondé and six from Terrence Davis and think that there's anything commensurate in terms of like where these guys stack up with their coach. Like Matt Thomas played 12 minutes. He's starting to get in the mix. He played well. Yeah, he played okay. My Matt Thomas thought is pretty clear. Like the challenge is, is the Raptors need to draw up offensive plays for him when he's on the floor. They're not particularly looking for him. He's so small that guys can recover and block his shot like it happened the other night. It just, he, he hurts you so much on defense. He opens up a sore spot on a team that's identity is defense that you really need to get a lot of O out of him to kind of counteract it and to balance it. I thought he was actually pretty good defensively against Utah. He challenged, he rebounds mm-hmm. well for his he position. He hustles. He has to. He, he stepped in and wasn't just hunting threes, but But he can't in. create his own shot. You know who else can't? Yeah. Patrick McCaw. So, I mean, like, where are we? This is the issue, is the litmus test in terms of, you point out, some warts in the games of Boucher and Rondé. And, and Terrence is still a young player who's figuring it out. But why is the barrier that those guys have to clear so high, but yet we're willing to live with Patrick McCaw just because his hands come down to his knees? I don't understand why we judge him on an entirely different curve. And so 
that's the part that I don't understand because whether it is Rondé or Boucher or Davis, Thomas really hasn't had the opportunity. Those guys have all, in multiple games, made winning plays and had winning stretches that were the difference. Like, they were the reason that the Raptors have won many games this year. They've been killed by injury. Mm-hmm. How many games has Patrick McCaw been the reason that they won? Well, I, I do want to give him some credit for that Utah game, man. Like, if we're going to talk about Terrence Davis, he was minus 15 in six minutes. Like, McCaw ends up being plus 21. And I did think that he frees up some of your players to not have to defend the best guys, the, the guards. Like, you don't have to ask Kyle Lowry to defend someone with some size, or you can let him kind of play off of it and do Kyle Lowry things and hunt for what are his turnovers, which is jumping out in front of guys and trying to draw charges. So I think he was fine in that Utah game. There's like Them playing him in that one was okay because he didn't murder them, even if he almost did down the stretch, and he hamstrings their offense. Is that I think the way they looked at that scenario is... We can't trust the other guys to do one thing as high as Pat McCaw is playing defense. My problem with McCaw is not so much the offense because it's just, it's obvious. He can't play it. If it was based on offense, he wouldn't be playing in any of these games. Because you're right. I'd rather have a bad Davis shot than any McCaw shot. Like an off-balance three from Terrence Davis to me is better than a clean look from three from Pat McCaw. Same goes for Matt Thomas. Pretty clear that he's a more valuable offensive player. My problem with McCaw is that I don't see an elite defensive player. I just think he's a good one like I think he's fine I think if you look the if looking the part was everything it would be one thing he looks the part you mentioned he's got really long arms and he's got quick feet he overplays guys way too frequently if you look at a lot of the Raptors defensive breakdowns a lot of times it's because Patrick McCaw is trying to do a little bit too much like you know when you say guys are forcing it on offense like oh this guy's really trying to insert himself in the game he's trying to get in rhythm he's trying to force himself he doesn't feel like he can be contributing unless he's getting his buckets I kind of think McCaw is the same way sometimes with his defense. Like, he feels like if he doesn't end up with three steals and a couple of blocks on the box score, that people are going to point to it and say, well, why the hell is this guy playing? And oftentimes it results in him losing his band and he's got the head on the swivel thing and all of a sudden the Raptors' defense is broken down and the opposition has a good look at the rim or he's recovering or someone needs to take a foul. So the thing I don't understand about McCaw the most is, yeah, why he's playing so much when I don't find his defense to be elite. They're very good on both ends, but... What would you say the Raptors are better at, more advanced at, more elite at, offense or defense? Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, defense is their identity. They are a defensive team. So the thing they need to augment would be offense. Yes, this is what I mean. I hate it when it's... Dude, the lineups they throw out there, when it's McCaw and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and OG Ananobi and Chris Boucher, and they're like, what do you expect Terrence Davis to do in those minutes offensively? Like, you're going to hammer him for taking a bad shot? Who's going to take it, Nick? Like, who's going to take a shot? Who's freeing things up for him? How is he going to get to the rim? Like, what's he going to play with here? Like, they rolled a lineup out there the other night. This is why the confusing game to me recently was the Sacramento game. They ran a unit out there of McCaw, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, TD, Gasol off of the injury, and OG Ananobi. It's like, yeah, man, Terrence Davis took some bad shots there. What was he going to do? Gasol did not want to shoot. OG is not a creator. And those other guys are complete dead weight on the offensive end. So... That's my kind of issue here is that I don't seem to understand from the outside is like, yeah, what, what Terrence Davis has to do for you or what he has to show for you when he's playing in these minutes with guys that really do not complement his playmaking or him focusing on getting the ball out of his hands to somebody else and doing some of the things that McCaw does, which is hang out, try to hit an open shot, and then defend one of the other team's guards. The other issue for me is... You can tell we're upset about this. This is the you, longest we've spent on anything in this podcast. Yeah, and we'll move on after yeah. this. You can 
hide a bad defender, especially mm-hmm. if you are a good defensive team, which they are. You, you, can, you can get away with it, mm-hmm. depending on who the other team has on the floor, how you handle your rotations. You can hide a bad defender. I don't care who you're playing. You know what you cannot hide? A bad offensive player. At any level. As soon as the bad offensive player checks in in a rec game, everyone's screaming, he's open for a reason. He's with us. That's what happens to you, huh? Like, you're, I, like I don't know. That's never happened to me. Oh, like, <laughs> no, but the, <laughs> yeah, the, no, the, not, not a bad... Uh, they, to me, they yell, shooter, shooter. No, 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 no you misunderstood what yeah. I said. No, I, I get I, you. No, 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 you yeah. don't. Yeah. Not a bad shooter, because there's a difference. Bad offensive player. Yeah. Andre Iguodala is a bad shooter, but mm-hmm. he is a good offensive player because he will make the right decision. He will find a way to create. Rajon Rondo, Bad shooter. But for the prime of his career, good offensive player. Patrick Kaw, not a good offensive player. Like, forget about yeah. shooting. I'm trying to He's think of what he does well. Offensive player. And so that hampers you because you don't have to guard him. And so you're guarding the rest of the, the guys five on four. And mm-hmm. that's not something that you can hide. Again, which is why. I don't really get why he played 42 minutes in an important basketball game. Well, again, the reason he played is because Norm Powell was hurt. And to tie this thing all into a bow, it's why I think that he is one of the biggest Raptors ceiling changers. Is that the options behind Norm Powell, it's, it's, you're dropping it off. You're either asking it to be an erratic player in Terrence Davis. You're asking it to be a really difficult guy to hide on defense and someone who cannot create his own shot with regularity on offense in Matt Thomas. Or, if you have Norm Powell healthy, why I think he is such a ceiling-changing player on this team is he provides an offensive skill set that, frankly, they do not have. Kyle Lowry can get his buckets, he can get hot, but the size, and he's not as explosive at the rim. He's not going to be a finisher in that element anymore. He might draw a foul, he might be crafty, he might still be able to get his way up and under, find somebody, play in the pick-and-roll better with Serge Ibaka, better offensive player overall. But the thing he does is that if you need a basket, like the Raptors did the other night against Sacramento— you can give Norm Powell a rock, and he can create for himself with a consistency this season that I'm not sure other guys have. I do think they can get things from those other guys. Just Norm's value is that he does all of those things, and yep. he's one guy on the floor. Yep. But they have been able to win without him. The real issue for me, and we'll see how long this injury is, is they haven't played with their top seven players, and that's where we're drawing the line, I know. healthy since January 28th. I'm actually surprised it was was like that late in the season. The question in terms of who is this team in the playoffs, we still are yet to know. I mean, it's the same thing with the Clippers. We don't really know who they are because they haven't really had their entire team healthy either by choice or by circumstance. And so slowly as guys were coming back, Serge is back, Gasol's back, Freddie's close. Mm-hmm. Then you lose Norm. It's just an inopportune time. They were going to actually have time to practice this week since they have so much time off, something that hardly happens in the NBA. And Norm gets injured because OG just came from the weak side like a madman and took him out. It's too powerful. OG and Anobi. Did you see Rudy Gobert's postgame comments, by the way? He's like, next time I'm going to take it in my own hands. So I was like, come on, Rudy. Come on. Like, stop. Stop it. I mean, try to elbow me in the face, you know, and, uh, the guy that's getting paid to protect us, the players, didn't do his job. So, you know, I just, uh, there was a little altercation and um, we both got ejected when I didn't do any, I mean, I didn't do anything back, pretty much, you know, which I don't understand. 
I don't think it makes sense to me. But next time I do justice myself. So, so the official get can eject me for a reason. You're Rudy Gobert. You cried when you didn't make the All Star team. You're not. No one's afraid of you. Like you can't. You can't. You're just like the least scary seven foot guy who ever lived. You can't chant Rudy, Rudy, Rudy when the guy is seven feet tall. Like it loses its impact. It's just yeah. I don't really care for Rudy Gobert. I'll just say, I'll just say that I'm not a huge fan of his. I think OG would have buried him. Oh, last thing uh, before we move on to this Atlanta Hawks thing, we talk about the schedule changes and uh, NBA ratings. On the Raptors, you mentioned how OG defended bigs with mm-hmm. efficiency, and every you oh, you always try to find silver linings, right? Like, okay, well, they've been down guys, and so they've tried to unlock certain things, and they didn't. They were missing two centers, and you're like, well, how can that be good? I sort of wonder if the Raptors maybe found something in OG and Anobi where they can do their own version of the Rockets some games where they ask him to play the five, because he defended Nikolai Jokic, I think. I think Jokic, he held to two of seven in that game where Jokic just feasted. And Jokic had some dimes off of him, and I'm not saying that he did it with, like, oh, my God, he shut him down, he locked him up. He had assists. He he was looking good. He got good post position. He got to the free throw line. He scored on him a couple times. But he did it better than a lot of centers would handle Nikolai Jokic, who I think is, like, third in win shares this season. So, like, there were some moments with OG Ananobi that we thought it was the Rondé Hollis-Jefferson thing, but really, you could kind of go small, have OG play some defensive five, have him still be a shooter on the floor and let him play kind of that Rondé role, but with a little bit of maybe he can leak out and shoot. That maybe that's a thing that you see later down the line with the experimental nurse that he saw and he was like, hmm, maybe. Siakam four, him five. I struggle to use Denver as a comp only because OG is legit stronger than Jokic. Like Jokic is obviously taller, but Jokic has never seen a weight room that he liked. Dude, OG's not drinking 45 cans of cola every night. Like that's not going down. But uh, my point is that it's, it's working out. It's not as if he had to do that with a real legit NBA no, I'm, center. I'm just right? saying, let me just ask it this way. Do you think that we will see the Raptors break out the OG at the five lineup when they're fully healthy and they have Gasol and Serge Ibaka? Like, is that on the table? Because Nick Nurse is yeah. a mad scientist. I, the lineup that I really haven't seen unleashed but I really want to see is the... The Muskoka five lineup. And that is Siakam at the five, OG at the four, Norm, please get healthy, at the three, and then the two guards in the backcourt. Like playing small, closing games the way the Warriors did with Draymond at the five. Yeah, but I'm saying flip those two. Make OG your five and Siakam your four. Because defensively, Siakam's not guarding the center. He's just not. He's not able to like stay down in the post and lock dudes up. We already saw it. When they had OG at the like and Siakam on the floor at the same time, they made OG play five. But if you're playing the Lakers, who do you want guarding Anthony Davis? OG or Siakam? Like, See, I, I would I would choose Siakam. Yeah, I think it's OG. Okay. I think OG is just great. like I think right now OG Ananobi is one of the best mm, seven defensive players in the NBA. Like I think he's that good. I watch a lot of basketball. I'm not watching dudes who can defend one through five like OG Ananobi on a nightly basis. Where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's just like. I'm talking about like Giannis. He's that's where he's at defensively. Is a smaller Giannis. He's unreal on defense. Who's blocking Rudy Gobert the way that OG Ananobi does? Like that's not a thing that's like that doesn't happen. Like that's not a thing that you do. And he's like, yeah, I just do that. I just do those things. I'm OG Ananobi. And then he's like locking up point guards. He's like, yeah, and then I'll go out and defend Connolly. I'll defend Bogdanovich. I'll defend Joe Ingles. Like, who do you want me to be on defensively? I'll guard them all. I'll guard every single guy. 
Uh, you talked with Brittany Donaldson. It was really good. It was on International Women's Day all over Sportsnet's channels. Uh, it was on social media as well. Um, we have some stuff from behind the scenes that we're going to play a little bit later. But Atlanta Hawks CEO Stephen R. Coonan. I hadn't seen this story. You alerted me to it. He suggested pushing the NBA season back two months to improve ratings so that they're not going up against the NFL. This is not a brand new idea. This is something that people have mentioned before. I don't think I've ever seen it pushed from like an actual CEO. Um, although I don't even really know what Atlanta Hawks CEO means. Still, it's someone who's, who's mentioning these things, who's talking about it. Obviously, though, this is spurred by talks of NFL or NBA ratings being in decline, that the NBA hasn't really figured it out. It's why we've heard about midseason tournament. Like, you can weigh in on whether or not you care about the season moving or not. I think that the more interesting conversation is about how the NBA is going to respond to ratings decline and, and why you think that is. Yeah, and so he's got a broadcast background. He worked for Turner and TNT. And so to quote him, I don't want to speak for him, but he said a big piece is you don't have to reinvent the wheel to enhance ratings. Sometimes moving away from competition is a great way to grow ratings. Mm -hmm. If King Kong, the NFL, is at your door, you might go out the back door rather than go out the front and engage in hand-to-hand fight with King Kong. And I see it as two things. I mean, these sports leagues, as much as they are competitors, they all are trying to solve the same issue. Less people are certainly watching on TV at times. Uh, you're, it's getting more and more challenging to get people to come to arenas and ballparks because you can get games on your phone. You can get them anywhere. And because of the, I guess, Instagram culture of being able to see the highlights from a game in a story, mm. not having to pay 160 plus parking to see it in real time the way time. we did it as kids. Plus a drain on, on your time with people, you know, living more and more in suburbs as it gets more and more expensive to live in urban centers. All of these things have impacts on leagues and their ability to sell products. So he's just looking at it collaboratively. Why don't we just give you up the pie that is the calendar and share some of it rather than compete against each other when we all need lots of sports fans to grow? I will say this. A good reason for doing anything is not, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And so people who are nostalgic about the NBA season ending in June and so on and so forth, like, who cares? I'd rather have an NBA that thrives 30 years from now. And so I don't mind it. I don't mind thinking of the NBA finals on Labor Day. Like, that's that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And and so... Be weird for parades. Why? Well, I mean, it would be weird if the Raptors championship parade was, like, fall in Canada. You'd be like, all right. You'd be any less excited because you're wearing no, a, a just, hoodie instead of a tank top? Yeah, I would. No, it's wouldn't. fun to be in the sun. Do you like to drink on a patio or inside of a dark, dank bar? Like, I, as I a, mean, I think... I'm just saying, it's, uh, listen, I, I'm just giving you my one so, drawback to this. So that World Series parade, when the Jays win, man, can't do it. Yeah, they can do it. It'd just be nicer if it was in a sunny day. I like the sun. Hey, listen, what, 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 I'm the guy what, on the show the, who likes the, the, the sun, Raptors, all right? What Thank the you, sun, for okay. all of that you give us. Yeah, you'd have more... Photosynthesis. You'd have more sun tans. as you're going to the arena throughout the year. You wouldn't be going yeah. in the middle of February to NBA games. Wow, really disrespecting the sun. All of those all of those watch parties in the playoffs yeah. where it's cold, where yeah. it's pouring rain, where they Sucks. potentially have to cancel some I of them. I hate it. Those watch parties would be... In the middle of the summer. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Imagine Jurassic Park is basically a patio. It was. 
That's what happened. We no, saw it. It was sick. No, some nights. Yeah. And some nights it was freezing cold. Yeah. I mean, that's just scaring me. Anyway. I'm not mad at it. Neither I, am I. I, I, I didn't, didn't jump out to me. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I never thought about that. I Listen. It would take you a year the, to the adjust schedule though, right? is not a reason for me currently to mm-hmm. not watch games. So it's not my issue. But I, I certainly understand where Kunin is coming from. And I, I love the fact that he brought a new idea to the table. Yeah, there should I, be no sacred cows. Everything should be on the table to be discussed. Yeah, I am more of a traditionalist sometimes with yeah. things, but I don't care. Change about schedule, this. Elam ending, no, yeah. and you pick your opponent in the playoffs if you have a, yeah. a higher seed. Two, I love Elam ending. I hate that you put me against. I just don't want Elam ending moving forward. I don't care when they move the season to. The first year would be weird. The first year when basketball wasn't, you weren't getting ready and okay and. Concession. I acknowledge that. Old habits die hard. Yeah, the first year. The NBA midseason tournament yeah, will yeah. be where the finals are. You'll get you'll get some high leverage basketball no, in June. No, see, the midseason tournament. That's not what would screw me up. Is like the NBA Champions League. No, because once you're in <laughs> the season. <laughs> no, you don't get yeah. Imagine they just did it like you know how in wrestling WWE used to get in trouble because they would take like real rock songs and put a little fake spin on it. Like it would be they would have smells like team spirit, for example, right? So instead of like na 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 na, they would just change it to like, like one little different note, and then just roll that out there, and they would be like, "This is fine." Until finally, the artists were like, "No, no, no, don't do that." If the NBA does do the midseason tournament, I'm suggesting they do the WWE model of like NBA champions, <laughs> just scripted because that song is the, legitimately the best thing about soccer. Like that Champions League song, I just picture it's like, "Oh yeah, cool, Heineken." Grab me a Heineken and throw on that Champions League song on repeat. How has, like, an artist not sampled that song? Probably because they can't afford it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, FIFA doesn't seem like they're like, oh, we're reasonable. It's cheap. <laughs> we fine. You can definitely afford this. Set bladder on the track. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, like, at the beginning of the season would be weird for me. I don't really care when the playoffs are. I love basketball. I'm going to watch it whenever they put it. They can put it on the moon. They can put it at 3 a.m. I'm going to watch these games. Yeah, if they think it's better for the growth of the league... The NBA's always gone against the NFL, and so I don't really view this as, oh, well, ratings are in decline. Well, guess what? They're in decline right now, and you're not up against it. Like, you're not playing the NFL right now, and ratings are still down. To me, it's a it's a bunch of different things. You nailed some of them already. Is I don't think that younger people are buying cable packages. It's just not the way that they consume the NBA. I don't think that people who are 22, 21, 17 are going like, you know what I want to do is I want to buy League Pass and I want to sit down and I want to sit in front of my cable package and buy all these games. It's just not the way they're operating. They're going out and they're watching cable in bars and different places and establishments that still have it. But ultimately they're saying, okay, I'll buy League Pass. Okay, I'll buy this game. Or I'll illegally stream it because those have become way too easy to get. There's way too many people that use them. I don't know what the circumvention is eventually going to be for that, but like... Yeah, you want to find an illegal stream, it's not going to take you more than 15 seconds to find it, and you're going to be like, okay, well, what can I live with? Uh, some pop-ups, maybe a virus or something? I don't even know. Like, I don't use the illegal streams, but I've seen people use them, and I like, when I go to people's houses, it's always awkward now, because now I'm like a corporate stooge who's like, I go to people's places and they have an illegal stream, I'm like, you know, uh there's been layoffs at my business. <laughs> like, hey, man, we don't give a crap. Uh, are you Joe Rogers? I'm like, no. They're like, okay, well, then just shut up and watch the stream. I'm like, all right. Sh-. <laughs> so, so I just eat it. I just eat it like a baby. But yeah, I think that those illegal streams are too readily accessible. Young people are not making a lot of money. So they're like, I'm not forking up for a cable package that I don't need anyways. I've got all my stuff on Netflix and I've got my Amazon. I'm, I'm just going to stream this or buy NBA League Pass. And then, yeah, the time, you're right. 
people aren't watching all these basketball games. They're following people on Twitter. They can consume a lot of it through highlights. They can consume a lot of it on Instagram. They see a Jamal Murray dunk, and they're like, that's what I want from the game. I, even if it gets called the charge, that's what I'm going to watch. People don't have as much time on their hands anymore. We're all so stretched out, all so thin with everyone. There's always a new thing to learn, always a new thing to do, that it just doesn't feel like relaxing and watching a full game is an efficient use of most people's time, unless you're like us, where this is, this is what we're doing for a living. Well, I think that's the entire point, is if yeah. people have less time, let's migrate the season to a time of the year where they have more time. But then and you're so like on a vacation. It, but it, but instead of going head-to-head with the NHL and the NFL, if you moved it to the offseason... I don't think the NBA is too worried about the NHL. Well, I'm, I'm, in this country, <laughs> I'm cer- certainly they are. I, I, there's more slices of the pie, that the time economy pie, to carve up. And you're right, there are many factors. Mm-hmm. Cord cutting certainly is one of them. But the, these things can be mutually you know, exclusive. The issue, though, is not just that ratings are down. When you look at it from a month-to-month standpoint, the ratings are down the most at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. when they are head-to-head with the NFL. And for someone to say, oh, well, it's the games aren't very high leverage at the beginning of the year, that's true. But there's also more teams in the race then. And even baseball, at its height in the fall, when the games matter the most, they hurt when they go head-to-head with the NFL. Oh, hell yeah. Dude, the NBA Finals games do, like, the same number as Thursday Night Football or less. That's been pointed out all the time. The NFL's a juggernaut. Like, you don't have a CEO come out and say the King Kong line without being, like, patently true that you don't even look at them as, as competitors in some ways because they're so far ahead of you. I think that there's a lot of factors to the NBA's ratings being down this year, and I think that being overly reactionary based on one book would be a mistake for them. And I don't think that's what they're doing. You always want to be innovative. You always want to create new things. You want to be able to adjust to your fan base, adjust to the times. Here's my other theory on why ratings are down this year. And I wanted, I, I think I'll be maybe proven to a certain degree about football or whether or not. I kind of sort of think this NBA season has felt like there's a little bit. We're coming off of a year where the regular season was diminished by the Raptors championship run. They had Kawhi Leonard basically say, these are all practices. I'm only playing in 60 games. They made it to the playoffs. They did it. I just think that we're going to see a big rebound in the postseason. That teams are saying, the Clippers are like, yep, we're resting guys on certain nights. Every team looks at this and says, hey, it's kind of whatever. We just value the regular season less than we did in years past. And that now it's starting to heat up with LeBron maybe going for a push for a final or for a regular season MVP. And that maybe some people are going to tune into these games down the stretch run. But the regular season has seemingly been a little bit devalued. The Warriors are gone which the Warriors are one of the most watched teams in the NBA. And now there's a lot of national games, night in, night out, where it's like, how many times have you turned on your TV and it's like, the doubleheader tonight is Bucks Sixers, and then the second game is like Warriors Blazers or Warriors Spurs. And you're like, yeah, I'm not watching that. So it's just there's too many Warriors games right now. It's like when the Cowboys suck or the Giants suck, and it's like, well, I'm not watching Monday Night Football again all the way to the end because the Giants are going to get pounded by 25 points. Like, it's Warriors power vacuum, uh, regular season being diminished to a large degree, no Zion to start the season, uh, some like teams that have been a little bit disappointing, load management Clippers, slow start Lakers, just a weird season. So there's a lot there. I mean, yeah. Going into the season, the viewership economists thought well, viewership is going to be up because there are so what many. What is that? What is what? Viewership economists. Is that just that you're saying making, like, uh, is that a thing? People who predict what the viewership will okay, be. Okay, yeah, I just didn't know. Uh, 
they said that the I mean it's the title that I made up. They said oh, okay. that uh, I thought it was actually like a magazine. I was like, oh, no. um, they, <laughs> people in the know that yeah. felt viewership was going to be up because so many more teams had a shot because mm-hmm. the Warriors were out. The Blazers, okay, this is their time finally. Nope. Uh, the I pa- have no time for any Blazers games. Blazers are like <laughs> like eye poison to me. Blazers and Spurs, I'm like enough. But. Remember, C.J. McCollum's like, I'm not going to the Olympics because this is a year where anyone could go deep in the playoffs. He was the only one who cared the, about the Blazers. The, the, the West, well, he was telling Jennifer, I'm trying, Jennifer. He tried, uh, he failed, it's done. The Pelicans were going to be new and interesting and frisky. The entire West the landscape was going to be crazy. Is this going to be the year for the Timberwolves? No. So people thought, well, more teams who actually feel like they have a shot. Mm-hmm. The viewership's going to be up because you're going to care about your team from the beginning. If anything, a team who people suspected viewership would be down for would be thy Toronto Raptors because mm-hmm. Kawhi was gone and the team was supposed to fall apart as soon as he left. Clearly, that wasn't the case, and it was proven that this wasn't just a honeymoon effect based off of having a playoff run, that the fan base here is large and growing. The Warriors' impact is huge. I'll add to that, though. It's not just that Steph Curry gets hurt early in the season, misses 58 games. That's a guy who uh, has been in the top three in jersey sales for the better part of his championship run. He's the most popular NBA player to people under 25, I think, without a doubt. And even and with you. him hurt, there, the Warriors jersey sales have fallen a little bit to six from one, but he is still at the top. Warriors viewership alone, you mentioned how big it was has fallen 66%. Yeah, but aren't they still top five or something stupid like that? I had Dieter Kurtenbach on Good Show the other day, and he mentioned that they're still a top 10 ratings team in the NBA. I'm talking about their local ratings, like the NBC Bay Area. In terms of judging ratings-wise, you'd have to also factor in the national ones, and they're on national games so much more. But to that point, we have just over a month left in the season. They still have 12 more nationally televised games. That's what I'm saying. And if you remember at the beginning of the season, who had the most national televised games to start the year? Was it the Clippers or the Lakers or not even the Warriors? The New Orleans Pelicans. Because mm-hmm. everyone wanted to see Zion, except he right. didn't play. That's what I'm saying. So there are there, this season was a confluence of factors. Kevin Durant also not playing. We would then later learn that for the better part of the year, Kyrie Irving, for many different reasons, was not going to play. Mm. So there's a bunch of factors where a bunch of the stars that people like watching haven't played for huge stretches, if not the entire year. And, and I think that's. I a don't big... like lumping Kyrie Irving into the Steph Curry conversation. <laughs> I just want to say, I don't think that there's like, okay, we'll Steph one night and then Kyrie the next. Like, we're going to watch it. It's like, nah, I don't think anybody cared about Nets games when it was just Kyrie and, the, and but, Dinwiddie. But the point is, yeah. on an ESPN Wednesday night, yep. the fact that Kyrie is on the Nets even though they're better with Levert and Dinwiddie, the fact that Kyrie is on the Nets is why ESPN would say, oh, we're going national with that game. But if Kyrie's not playing, then you just had last year's Nets. That's what I'm saying. With I... Kyrie and Katie in a suit on the exactly. sidelines. And trying to get Kenny Atkinson, poor Kenny Atkinson, fired. No, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So <laughs> You know those so, like dog videos where the, like, the owner comes home and the dog is like, there's like mud everywhere and all the pillows are like torn up and then they like see the dog. It's like, then the dog's like, oh boy. It's like, that's how I feel like the media spotlight immediately at Kevin Durant and Kyrie. They're like, oh. And it's like all for DeAndre Jordan. Kenny, Kenny Atkinson died for DeAndre Jordan. 
This is really the hill? Okay. Poor no, guy. But this, Great coach. But this is what I'm saying is that I think that the NBA ratings for the finals or for the playoffs are going to be bonkers. This is my guess. I'm just predicting this. We could have LeBron and Zion in round one or LeBron and Ja in round one. How many? Everyone's going to watch that every single night. You're going to have the Sixers potentially playing the Celtics in round one or the Raptors if they f- somehow fall out of that second seed, which they're now three and a half games up on as of today. There's going to be really interesting round one matchups. And then you mentioned it. That sort of parity and that Warriors power vacuum, I think, is actually going to equate to something meaningful in the postseason. You're all of a sudden going to be sold on all these teams. You're going to roll into next season, a full year of Zion. The Warriors back to being healthy with a draft pick. LeBron James potentially defending a title or an MVP award or being snake bitten, having the Battle of Los Angeles, having all this parody in this conference, either Giannis having finally won and it's his NBA or Giannis continuously trying to hunt it in the final year of his NBA tenure without a new contract with the Bucks. There's just, there's so many things. It just feels like you had this one stumble season. It's a stumble block. We're all staring at the ratings being like, what the hell happened? I can kind of explain it. Be worried if next year, if these things happen, you have an awesome playoffs, you have healthy guys coming into the season, you have big stars back and Steph Curry. Like, what league, if the NFL loses, I'm sorry, Tom Brady, and you lose the Patriots next year, like, and all the Patriots games, they think Brady's back and they're putting Patriots games on every night, less people are going to watch the Patriots play. They're not going to watch who's Brian Hoyer throw the ball around. Like, the Warriors have Marquis Chris out here, like, Jordan Poole, everyone. Hey, you want to watch 36 minutes of Jordan Poole tonight? Like, no, never. I mean, never, ever. I was with you until you mentioned NFL. Like, then you. No, you're right. It's such a juggernaut. I'm just saying, like, you don't think there'd be some drop off with Tom Brady and the Patriots being gone all of a sudden? Zero, zero, zero. But in all those national spots. Zero. All right. The Indianapolis Colts had Andrew Luck just peace out on the eve of the season. Yeah, but they were tough and they were fun and they were, like, competitive. No, but the point is, the ratings did not change with Jacoby Mm. Brissett as their quarterback. People watch the league. They don't watch You're right. but specific yeah. players. Perfect way to go out. In the NFL, they do watch the league. In the NBA, I think they watch the stars. And this year, they were missing arguably their biggest star in Steph Curry. And then the like guy that was supposed to be the undercard in Zion Williamson that we were all waiting for didn't start for the vast majority of the season. The guy that was defending the title was like, hey, guess what I don't give a crap about? These games. See you in the playoffs. We're going to be crap all year long. We're going to be up and down. We're going to win a game here. We're going to win a game there. We'll show up in the postseason. That's when it's going to matter. The Nets are like, we're punting on this year. We've got Kevin Durant on the sideline, like you mentioned. They were missing significant stars. Like, now it feels like people really give a crap about what's going on with the Lakers. And I'm invested in seeing LeBron James try to make a legitimate run at the MVP. I'm going to watch Lakers games. I've been watching the Western Conference race being like, hey, I really hope that it's Jaw or Zion in round one, please God, not Blazers or Spurs. Like, please, anything, I would sacrifice a pinky toe to not have it be the other way around. Like, things matter now. We're going to see it ramp up. It's going to kick in. Let's not be so worried. Let's not freak out. Nobody freak out. Everybody be cool. So if I had to, if I had to win a basketball game, mm-hmm. and if I lost, my family was being held a ransom, I think I'd probably start my team with Kawhi or LeBron. If I had to start a franchise, I'd be honest. But if I had to just watch a basketball game for f- the purpose of fun, pure yeah, entertainment. Everyone knows what you're going to say. It would be, the first pick would be Steph Curry. Yeah, I know. And the second pick would be Zion. And yeah. both those guys have missed the majority of the season. Yeah. Where would Ja rank? I love watching Ja. Ja he, is he, like. He, he would not be far behind. I I mean, he might be three, actually. I, like, I love watching It would ja go Steph Curry, Zion, Terrence Davis, Ja Morant. Yeah, for me, 
I would still go LeBron one. LeBron is still to me the most fascinating. Like he's the what he's doing at 35 years old right now. Like I just I can't get over it. He's the player of my time. Jordan was the player of my childhood, but LeBron is the guy I've seen his whole career of, and to see him do this at 35 years old is just I'm like blown away by it. Zion would be right there. Ja would be right there. OG and Anobi would be right there blocking the out of Rudy Gobert. I paid lots of money for that. I would pay lots of money to see OG and Anobi block Rudy Gobert and then beat his brains in <laughs> with elbows. Uh, so OG one actually is what I'd like to close on. Uh, subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share it on social, do all those nice things that we love that the associates do. We have a feature that we're about to play. Uh, it's Donovan Bennett, the man you just heard with Brittany Donaldson, the youngest assistant coach in the NBA, which I did not know until I watched your feature. That's right now. I'm Brittany Donaldson. I'm an assistant coach with the Raptors and I've been with the organization for three years. You're one of 11 current female assistant coaches in the league. When you hear that stat, what does it make you think? It makes me think that in 10 years, there'll be one on each team, you know? It's exciting. I think a year ago, there were maybe five, and a few years before that, there was one, and I think we're here to stay, you know? I think it's really exciting that that number's growing rapidly, and I don't just want to be one of 11, you know? I want to eventually be one of 30, and um, I think that's going to happen very soon. You are the youngest assistant mm-hmm. coach, full stop, mm-hmm. no matter the gender. Do you at times think to yourself, I, I can't believe I'm here so soon? Yeah. Yeah, it's been, you know, obviously hard work involved, but a lot of luck along the way and, and meeting the right people and working for leaders that believe in somebody like me to be in a position like this. And um, I don't take it for granted for a second, but it is a little... Weird to think about that I'm the youngest, but, um, you know, definitely have experience. It just looks a little different than, than most people's. What has been the biggest adjustment for you moving from the data side mm. to the basketball side with the team? Yeah, there's a few big adjustments. The travel and the schedule being one of them, you know, it's just a lot more demanding, a lot more time sensitive. A lot of your work has to be done that day or, you know, within the hour, whatever it is, there's a lot, you know, there's always another game to be prepping for. And I think, too, you realize once you get to the coaching side what wide array of responsibilities a coach can have. You know, you're not just on the court putting a player through drills. You could be prepping for practice. You could be creating a player development plan for a player. You could be scouting another team. You could be learning another team's plays. You could be learning our plays. You know, there's so many different things that you have to be responsible for. And so adjusting to that wide array of responsibilities is a little different. Because as a data analyst, I kind of just did one or two things repeatedly for the coaching staff, so. The fact that your path is different, do you feel people may view the way you got there differently? Definitely, right? I think people just maybe don't understand my path, right? It's not that they're against it. It's not that they don't believe that I'm supposed to be here. It's just a little different. and. I think it's really unique what I can bring to the table. No, I didn't play at a professional level, but um, you know, I was sidelined in my collegiate career with a bunch of injuries, and that really forced me to take time away from the court and actually analyze the game in a lot of different ways. I broke down film. You know, I looked at it from a statistics perspective. I tried looking at it from a coaching perspective. I spent a lot of time with my coaches talking about strategy and whatnot. And so during that time, I really learned a lot about viewing the game through different lenses, and then. Spending three or four years on the analytics side, like really, really diving deep into what we can do with this data we have and learning the game from a data perspective, it was 
really different path for me to take, but it's something not a lot of people have done, and I think that's something I can bring to the table that not a lot of others can.